Hey everyone and welcome to Icons and Outlaws, your all-access backstage pass to the legends of the music world. I am your host, Jonathan Sayer. Amy Jeff. I'm Logan. And this is episode 10, Metallica Part 1. Now remember to stay to the end of the episode to listen to our version of Metallica's Nothing Else Matters before you could even find it on Spotify, but you can find it up there soon on our own uh, curated Icons and Outlaws playlist. You can find everything about the show over at IconsandOutlaws.com and make sure to subscribe and please do us a favor, you know, just, uh, you know, tell your friends because that'd be be a lot cooler if you did. Yeah, (laughs) yes it is, yes it is. Sorry, I don't know, I'm in a mood today. That went went one way. Jeff. Yes, sir. What is your first memory of Metallica? So I was watching this show called Stranger Things. <laughs> and this guy, Eddie, he's on top of the RV and he's jamming oh, up this yeah. song. It's I a, heard about that. It's called Master of Puppets. Yeah. So I went and looked it up and there's like this whole band behind the song. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, really? did they plan this? That's amazing. So that was. So that's your first, huh? What about you, Logan? Do you even know who Metallica is? No. <laughs> <laughs> sure you do. Yeah, I've heard of a song. They had a, was it Smell Like Teen Spirit? Oh, my God. Uh, where is it at? Where is it at? I need my freaking, there it is. You suck. Yeah. Right off the rip. I wasn't, I wasn't close? No. Oh. You're not. So my actual uh, first is uh, a buddy of mine um, was playing one. Was his name Holly? Ooh. And I was like, whoa, like this is amazing. Yeah. And then I started getting like the, uh, you know, the rest of their stuff. And I was the just. The good stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I'm doing air Quote, quotations. Air quotes, yeah. I mean, because it's all relative. You know, some people like some of the other stuff. I thought the Black Album was great too. So. Well, we all know about the snare that killed Metallica. We do. And we'll get to that. We later. will most definitely talk about that. I think that's in, uh, yeah, that's going to be in part two. Yes. This is part one. So oh. if anyone's uh, wondering here. So we're just going to kind of go through and talk about them here. The beginning. The beginning of Metallica, Metallica, as some people call them. That's yeah. what I thought yeah. they were, actually, at yeah. first. <laughs> I was like, what the hell's a Metallica? <laughs> no, it's Metallica, man. Oh. So drummer is Lars Ulrich, or Ulrich. Ulrich. Is, depending, you know. Yeah. Was born into an upper-middle-class family in Gentofte, Denmark, on December 26, 1920, or 1920, 1963. Like, what? <laughs> he's, a, he's a lot older than you he's thought. He's a Highlander? Yeah, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he was the son of Lone and tennis player Torben Ulrich. In uh, February of 1973, Lars's father obtained passes for five of his friends to check out a band called Deep Purple. <gasps> do you know Ooh. what they do? Don't they have a song called like Smoke on the Water? Hey! Like one of the easiest songs to play on the guitar, right? Yeah. Correct. Good job. Yeah. So yeah, he uh, you know he got uh, some tickets to go and uh, you know it, to go to the concert here, and it was held in the, uh, the stadium in Copenhagen as one of his tennis tur- tournaments. So his dad was actually a pretty great tennis player. Where? <laughs> My geography is terrible. Yeah. Where exactly is Denmark? Up by, uh, like, Sweden, Finland. They're all in, in that same Is it, like, in the middle of them all? Scandinavia. Like, towards I, the north, right? I think Finland is in the middle, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. I believe right? so. I, believe I don't know. Correct. And for all of our listeners over there who are going, no, you're stupid, we apologize. <laughs> we I mean, is it cold apologize. there all the time? Is it, like, wintry weather? No, yeah, no, I don't think it's cold all the time. I mean, I mean here coming up in the next, cooler. like, week, and probably it's not going to be very cold. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I it's not know. like in relation. I don't know why I'm thinking Norway with like Vikings and stuff. That's so. Not... Do you know where England is yeah. and then Ireland? They're like this way. Okay, that's yeah. what Does I that thought. Yeah, and yeah, I love yeah. how I'm going. I'm pointing, and you guys are like, "Which way is he pointing?" <laughs> <laughs> east, east, south. They're south. No, I'm just kidding. B seven. Yeah, you sunk my battle. They're yeah. like northwest of, okay, of I that. Gotcha, I yeah, gotcha. I think, and I could be completely wrong, and I apologize to our Swedish listeners, and if we have any Denmark, listeners. I mean, if we're wrong, tell us on Danish. Facebook. Would yeah. you? 
Yeah, I'd like to know. Yeah. yeah. Tell us, you Danes. Yeah. I, I do like a good you Danish, Danes. by the way. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Isn't, isn't a Danish not from... It's a it's a donut. It's an overseas. <laughs> it's a pastry. Donut. It's a pastry. Yeah, it is oh, a pastry. Yeah. Yeah. What about so a good? Yeah, crip. Crip. I like crips. I don't. <laughs> Say it, Frenchie. <laughs> so when uh, one of the you know of his dad's friends could not go to the concert, they gave their ticket to the nine year old Lars, who fell in love with the band and ran out and bought their album Fireball the next day. Fireball. I don't know how that even goes. But the concert and album greatly impacted Lars and his life, okay, inspiring the start of his music career. So that's where he actually saw his first, like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Interesting. All right. He received his first drum kit, a Ludwig, from his grandmother uh, when he was around 12 or 13 years of age. Okay. Lars initially intended to follow in his father's footsteps and become a badass tennis player. Okay. So he moved to Newport Beach, California in the summer of 1980. So despite being ranked in the top 10 tennis players of his age group in Denmark, he was actually really good at playing or playing tennis. He actually failed to make it into the seven-man Corona Del Mar High School tennis team, solidifying his decision to say, screw tennis, I'm going to be a rock star. Okay, Honest Abe, do you think tennis is like a legit thing? I think it's a very legit sport, but I do not like it personally. I like playing it. It's not bad, but it, it doesn't look hard. Ooh. Oh. Says from someone. Do, I mean, do you play it often? No. I've played it before yeah. in the past, but I mean, it's. it's. Let me just, ask you, you this. You got to get it in that square. I mean, that square is pretty big. Have right? you ever seen a fat tennis player? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of running. Yeah, and, man. There's a lot. Of, for real. But I'm saying for like it. skill, for like reflex and like making sure it stays in that. Well, it's all about how you hit it, too, because if you're running a certain direction, you have to know whether or not to backhand it or to forward swing it or upperhand it or underhand it. Reaction like, a time. a lot of different stances, and if yeah. you hit it a certain way, you can also put some English on it so it curves into the other side of the court. Like, there's a little bit that more that goes into it. I don't like tennis I feel like the ball should explode at some point, like hot potato. It yeah, would make awesome. it way more of a sport. Um, like fireball from... <laughs> From uh, friends, remember? Oh, we need a new game. <laughs> Fireball. Yeah. 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 That's what they need. They need to have flaming tennis balls. Yeah. That'd be cool. That'd make it more fun. Just put a little, like, M80 in there and just pop it until the timer, until the fuse goes out. Right. But but their rackets are actually made of fuses, and inside the handle is, like, an explosive. And drywall oh screws. God. So you have to get rid of it real fast. <laughs> no, it's full of drywall screws, so when it explodes, it just sprays oh everything. God. That's what I'm talking about. All right. That's how we're making uh, fucking shrapnel over here. Is that what we're doing? FBI, here we go. Wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So while living in Los Angeles. What? <laughs> it's been a rough day. Los Angeles in late 1981, Lars placed an ad in the LA newspaper, The Recycler, which read, quote, drummer looking for other metal musicians to jam with. Tigers of Pantang, Diamond Head, Iron Maiden. That's all it said. Huh. Wow. Okay. Like literally, that's all it said. Is that like who he's trying to like go for, or is that like that's the style level? he wants to play? Ah, okay. Yeah. See, that's style. what you used to do back in the day before the internet. You'd put an ad out of like who you want to be or right. what style you're going for. Yeah. And that's where you'd find like-minded people and huh. team up and make a band. Yeah. Huh. Make a band. That used cool. to be the thing back in there. Be like, yeah, man, we're gonna be like Break Benjamin, man. <laughs> are you cool with that are you cool with that because if you're not man we'll find another drummer man yeah i'm okay with that man all right can i make yeah. a band that sounds like erase the gray oh boy anyway Who are they? <laughs> amazing no band. one knows <laughs> so guitarist james hetfield and hugh tanner of leather charm Ooh. answered the advertisement that's right james allen hetfield was born on august 3rd 1976 
my birthday, as a matter no of fact. Shit. Yeah, we share the same birthday. It's pretty I cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until doing the uh, doing the research on yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So he was born in 1963, so he's sizably older than I am. In Downey, California, and he's the son of Cynthia Bassett, a light opera singer, Ooh. and Virgil Lee Hetfield, a truck driver. With that name, you had to be. You kind of. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, what do you do for a living? Uh, well, uh, I'm a, uh, a, a surgeon. What's your name? Virgil Lee. You know what? <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> it makes sense. Like, everybody knows James Hetfield at this point. I'm, I'm assuming. You know, I don't. <clears throat> so if you have a picture of him and mm -hmm. then you, it's like a game, like you have a truck driver that looks like chainsaw and then you got an opera singer, like this beautiful lady with a beautiful voice and you, whoosh, you meld them together. And that's basically James Hetfield. Like, are you saying he's, he's a beautiful? trucker that can sing, right? Oh, okay. I see what you're you I what what you saying? saying. He was attractive. I was like, all right, well, what, I mean, whatever. I, I mean, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to answer that in these days. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so James was nine years old when he first began piano lessons. He then started jamming on his brother, uh, his half brother David's drums, and finally, at 14, he began to play with Robert Auchner. He was also in a few bands as a teenager. One was Leather Charm with Hugh Tanner that I just mentioned a few uh, minutes ago, and another was called Obsession, like yeah, like the fragrance. <laughs> Welcome to Obsession. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody smells that's good. The, that's their one-two count in. <laughs> Everybody smells great tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so James said that Aerosmith was his uh, primary musical influence as a child and that they were uh, why he wanted to play guitar. He was a fan. How do we feel about Aerosmith real quick? Not to get like um, on an Aerosmith side train because I know we're going to do them at some point. Yeah. But Loving and I, love I feel like a lot of people like I, I have them as, like as an influence. Yeah. Which, yeah. yeah, I get it. But I think there's better influences, better stuff out there Well, I think, for that time period too. I think for... Um, I don't know. I think like especially in the eighties, like show glam rock. Oh, yeah, they were they the were thing. they were that kind of uh, they were that they were cock rock without the cock. I guess you'd say. Yeah. You know what I mean? Does that, that make sense? sense? Yeah, it does make because sense. because you look yeah. at Steven Tyler and he's you know flashy and he's, he's got his garbs. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, is cock rock like Motley Crue? Yes. Oh, okay. See, okay, you got so it. So cock rock, yeah, Motley yeah. Crue, poison, uh, poison yeah. rat, really? poison. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know they were very like showy. Just watch any video with Brett Michaels when they first started out, dude. They all were like big thick eyeliner and like they basically wore you wore girls clothes and had girl hair but the girls loved you because of that interesting that was cock rock back then you simple like four four time signatures three chord chain progressions and stuff like that i mean it was there was nothing cool about it and not nothing cool about it there was nothing like um, Unique, overwhelming complex. about it until yeah. you got to the solos yeah mm. and the solos were always face melting they were oh, amazing yeah. and they wrote the best ballads if you ever want to do harmonics and patterns, yeah. could you squeeze into like they were thirty seconds? Amazing, and uh, yeah, Nirvana killed all that <laughs> with one swoop yep. of a power chord. Yep. <laughs> Not even a joke. Nirvana came in and bye bye. Amen. Cock rock was gone. I was never a fan of that until they did Blackout Superstar. I was such a fan of it. I, I loved wasn't. it so much. But I mean, if you guys want to, and listeners out there, if you want to do yourself a favor, go on to Spotify or wherever you listen to music, and of course, follow and subscribe to Icons and Outlaws. Of course. But while you're there, just look up 80s hair metal ballads. I thought you were going to say And rock. listen to that. No, listen to that <laughs> playlist, dude. It's some of the greatest music yeah. ever. It's so good. Because it's cheesy. Yeah. You know, when the children cry, you know? She's only 17. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know if that's a ballad. But it's such a creepy song, by the way. It is. <laughs> Freaking it Kip, is. Kip Winger. Calm yeah. yourself. She's only 17. That's called rape. <laughs> Just saying. Like, you know what else is kind of like along those lines? We were watching. So I told you when we go to bed, we leave an, an 80s 
music video mm-hmm. channel, and it just plays all night long until we fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Voices Carry came on. Love that song. And I'm, for the first time, I actually like watched the video, and it was like, you know, the lyrics in the song. Yeah. It was portraying. I, I never knew that song was about abuse. Yeah, it's about never she was knew. being abused by her, her husband, and she got sitting in the movie theater. Yeah. She finally stood up and had enough. Like all the times I wa- or heard it when I was a little kid in the 80s, mm-hmm. I never put that together because like, I didn't really pay attention to the lyrics. Well, you want to hear something that's really messed up? Yeah. Um, my uh, Up until probably about 10 years ago, I always thought she said, this is scary. <gasps> this oh. is scary. I swear. I swear. Yeah, that could that's be what one. I thought it was. No, that it's Voices Voice Carry. Carry. Oh. Voices Carry, yeah. That would make sense. It's a great song. Title of the song. Okay. But that Anyways. was that was more like pop <laughs> stuff. You know what I mean? That yeah. Wasn't, yeah. That wasn't I was rock. just saying it's, it was yeah. along the lines of, you know. Yeah. Like, we're talking about Winger being... That wouldn't fly these days. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Well, that song would be huge right now, though. Like with the, the not the 17 one, but the voices, the voices carry, carry, especially yeah. with like all the movements and stuff that are going on and people are being more socially conscious of stuff. Right. Yeah. That song would be huge, huge right now. You know, huge. So anyway. All right. So his parents over here, we're talking about the one and only James Hetfield. Yeah. His, <laughs> his parents, which is, you want to hear something really ironic? Yes. He was born on August 3rd, right? Yeah. His parents divorced in 1976 when he was 13. That's my birthday. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. August 3rd, 1976. I feel like he and I should be hanging out. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But he was 13 years old, and uh, his parents were actually devout Christian scientists. Okay. And Wait, follow- that is an oxymoron. No. If I ever heard one. You know, I was going to put in here Science. what it was, but I kind of figured you guys knew what it was. They like it's the, the scientific science. standpoint, and they believe in the science. Like they believe in that's not Christian religion yeah. and the science behind the religion, like okay. Scientology kind of. Kind of. <laughs> is it like its own religion, or is it no. like a sub variant of Christianity? Well, they they strongly disapproved of medicine or any other medical treatment, and remained loyal to their faith. Okay, so Mormon. it was all about uh, the faith in God and God would be able to cure you and, and the religion can cure you and stuff. You know, that was mm. my late grandfather. He came down with prostate cancer Ugh. later in his life Ugh. and he refused chemo and treatment. He said, God has a plan for all of us and blah, 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 blah. And he ended up, honestly, he ended up dying from a stroke later. Like the cancer never killed him. Well, and this was years later after. Was that the plan, though? I I don't know. <laughs> but I just remember, like, my dad and, like, his brothers and everybody being upset because he said, no, I'm not getting any help because God has a plan, yada, yada. Because he's one of those people. He, he's got a 10-year plan. What is it? Don't die! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, poor grandpa. Yeah. But uh, so they even did this and believed in this, uh, the Christian scientist side of things, um, even as his mother, uh, Cynthia, was actually dying from cancer. That's so they refused cool. any kind go. of like yeah. support from like medical or anything like that. I think that's a generational thing, though. I mean, a lot of old people were from that generation. Yeah. The golden generation. I say it all the time that my grandmother was not afraid to die and when she yeah. died she wasn't scared even a little bit because she, as far as she knew she was going to heaven and God would be there and pearly gates would open up and she'd be able to make everyone a strawberry rhubarb pie. Yeah, and it was oh, always good. different too. Like if you would fall, like let's say you're running and you fall as a little kid, would you catch your parents? Me? Your parents would be like, "Oh no!" But the grandparents would be like, "Oh, shake it off," <laughs> you know. And it gets worse and worse. And now it's like the younger parents. Now a kid falls, like, "Oh my god, call nine one one! He's gonna die." Yeah. Except like you notice how it gets worse and worse and worse with every generation. Yeah. It's like yeah. the difference between me and my wife. I'm like, I'll see you, but fall down. I'll be like, I oh, should be all right. Just walk it off. And my son's like, Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, she's crying before the kid is. Yeah, yeah. Like, every time. It's like, you got to stop. Come on. You'll be fine. Yeah. Once you're, you're bleeding or your legs backwards, you're, you'll be fine. You know what I mean? Shake it off. Or you could be like my dad. Anytime I would have a stomach problem, I hurt my leg, stub my toe, anything like that, he'd just tell me to drink a Pepsi. Yeah. Oh, nice. That is the cure-all. That That's is, what he would say. Yeah. That is the end-all. Dad, I don't feel good. Drink a Pepsi. <laughs> dad, my leg's bleeding. Drink a Pepsi. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, in the early 1900s, late 1800s, what was in like... Cocaine. Yeah, co- cocaina was a big thing, and that was a lot of things. Man, I'm stuff, old, no? but I'm not that old. Come on, now. Oh, really? However, I am still alive, so whatever he did, it worked. Yeah, you know true, what I mean? true, so true. I am still Pepsi, alive. There you go. So, of course, this <laughs> lifestyle with his parents and the whole, you know, the Christian scientist thing um, inspired a lot of his lyrics during his career with Metallica. For example, the songs uh, Dire Eve and The God That Failed from the albums Injustice for All and Metallica touch on those topics. His mother, Cynthia, unfortunately died of cancer in 1979 when he was only 16 years old. After her death, James went to live with his older uh, his older half-brother, David, the one he was uh, stealing his drums and jamming out on. Nice. All right, so although he had not formed a band yet, Lars asked Metal Blade Records founder Brian Slagle if he could record a song for the label's upcoming compilation album, Metal Massacre. Okay, if you guys are unfamiliar with Metal Blade Records, some of the greatest metal records and metal bands are have been and are signed to them. Like they're just awesome. Like they're amazing. Can you name a few? Oh boy, I was gonna put that in here too, and no I just kind of figured quick. you guys would. Um, but I know. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. I'm trying to think off the top of my head if I know. Um, you said Metal Blade Records. Metal Blade. Yeah. There's. Um, oh, what the hell is Cannibal this? Corpse? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's pretty notable. Nice. Cannibal Corpse. Uh, Kill Switch. <gasps> yeah, there you go. Uh, something I can't read, like every metal band. <laughs> oh, Amon Amarth? Like a splatter of Amon Amarth, yeah. Slayer. Why do they do that? White Chapel? I, I don't understand <gasps> that. As I Lay Dying? I'm sorry, what? You like them, though. Huh? I love them. Yeah, you're a fan. Well, anyway, going on here. So Slagle here, this guy over at Metal Blade, he actually accepted it without even having a band. Lars was, and if you've ever seen Lars talk, or if you've ever been involved with any interviews, not involved, but seen any interviews or whatever, the dude can talk his way out of uh, pretty much anything. He's a salesman. He's a salesman. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that Lars has going for him, okay? No, well, not the one, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it's, right. he definitely knows how to do that. And you kind of have to. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit later what everyone else in the band thought about that. But <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, Slagle accepted, and uh, Lars recruited Hetfield to sing and play rhythm guitar. So, Hetfield got the job. Nice. Lars and James officially formed the band known as Metallica on October 28th, 1981, five months after they first met. Oh, yeah. Huh. So, there you go. That's how they did it. So, a funny story. James and Lars's first encounter was... Uh, it was a little shaky. It set the tone for the rest of their life. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> As Mick Wall wrote in his biography of the band Internight, neither James nor Hugh, remember the guy that was in the band with James Hetfield, who came with him, had anything good to say about Lars. <laughs> um, the kid was weird and smelled funny, and he couldn't even really play drums, they said. Nice. It's kind of messed up. Okay. Deeming the entire encounter something of a waste, James later recalled in the same bio that, quote, we ate McDonald's, we ate herring. Lars's father was famous. He was very well off. Spoiled. That's why he got his mouth. He knew, uh, he know, wait, he knows what he wants. He goes for it, and he's gotten it his entire life. But that's the kind of guy that, like, if you're trying to achieve 
and get something. You need someone that's not ever going to take no for an answer. True. Yeah, yeah, and that true. was Lars. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and if you if you watch like some kind of monster and stuff, oh, which yeah. we'll discuss later on, it's the documentary that was filmed on him. It was really good. By it the was way. awesome. It was awesome. It showed so many different facets to uh-huh. that band. And like, no offense, love James Hetfield. Kind of a wuss. Just saying. Yeah. Kind of a wuss. But I mean, he's got some emotional stuff. I get it. And you know, Kirk Hammett, which we'll get to, but he was like. So shy and just like he's very soft like, smoking, uh, smoking. You know what I mean? Smoking. Like, he's soft smoking for such a like shredding machine. He was just here. very just like mm. uh, he's amazing you know? too. Which we'll talk a little bit about uh, him and uh, Dave Mustaine's relationship oh, in yeah. a few. So, <laughs> so when asked what Lars remembers about their first meetup in a blabbermouth.com interview, <laughs> a little bit different. He said, "Quote: I remember connecting with him." Lars responded, I could see that even though he was painfully shy or whatever, that there were some distinctive similarities. I spent six months talking uh, to people about heavy metal, and they'd mention bands like Styx, Journey, Kiss, or whatever. I talk about Angel Witch, Diamond Head, or Tigers of of Pantang. I've never even heard of that band before. Probably some obscure, like, real blasty metal band or whatever. (laughs) Probably. Uh, He goes on to say uh, he had a connection to the music and the things I was throwing out there that seemed a little more authentic or trustworthy. Not much happened happened during the first meeting because he was kind of the wingman or the plus one for a guy named Hugh. So Hugh actually had the bigger personality out of the two of them. If James was sitting here, he'd tell you that the uh, the drum kit I showed up with was in such bad shape that every time I hit the cymbal, it kept falling over, which is accurate. Hetfield and I ended up staying in touch, and when I came back from traveling in Europe a few months later, I called him up and said, hey, do you want to play and see what happens? And he was up for it. A little bit different than what uh, James's (laughs) memory of it was, you know what I mean? But I just think it's kind of funny. But you know what? Now that I think about it, if uh, if if Hugh, if he had the stronger personality, more outgoing, that would never have worked with. uh, Oh God! Could you imagine? No, he's definitely like the alpha male in that group. Exactly, he always has been. He's a little ankle biter dog. Is what he is. A little yippee. He's got that Napoleon (laughs) complex. Calm down. Don't get me. Let me get the hose again. Yeah. So the band name Metallica came from Lars's friend Ron Quintana, who was brainstorming names for a fanzine and was considering Metal Mania or Metallica. After hearing the two monikers, Lars wanted Metallica for his band, so he suggested Quintana use Metal Mania instead. That magazine wound up being a U.S. monthly magazine focusing on heavy metal music, which was published between 1985 and 1991. It's kind of cool. That's where he got the name for it. So now listen. Guitarist Dave Mustaine <laughs> replied to an advertisement for a lead guitarist where Lars and James asked him to join uh, after seeing his expensive guitar equipment. Now, uh, Logan, mm-hmm. do you happen to know who that is? Dave Mustaine. I thought you said we're saying Mustang. Okay. No, yes. I have no idea. Moose, you, that name doesn't sound familiar at M- all? 99 Ways to Die. That's the the, the, the show? Or take a mortal man. Hello, me. Read the meal, me. Dark black past. Most valued possession. You know, you don't know. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll talk. Okay, we'll talk. it's pretty awesome. Everybody oh, right like now that. is going like, "What are no, they?" Talking? They know. They know. Yeah, they know. If I'm you're listening to this scared. about Metallica, you know. Right. We'll, we'll talk about it here. So anyway, they saw that he had this awesome equipment. So in early 1982, Metallica recorded its first original song, "Hit the Lights," for the Metal Massacre One compilation. James Hetfield played bass, which is crazy. And and were the guitar and sang while Lloyd Grant was credited with a guitar solo and Lars Ulrich played drums. Lloyd was a Jamaican guitarist who was never officially in the band. 
Now, Lloyd has said about this, quote, uh, me and Lars was jamming down there in Orange County. I really want to do a Jamaican you accent. You should. No, I don't want to get it. the beach boy. <laughs> he said uh, they're hanging out there in uh, Orange County, California, and we jam with a few people, and we look, uh, and we, he says, and we look at other people to jam with. That's what he says. Nice. They met, uh, And they met through the recycler, the same uh, paper that they put the ad out in. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool. And he goes on to say, we were playing for a long time, and he came down to my place, my apartment once, and he says, and he, and he says, and he keep asking me to come jam with the band, but I was really busy doing other stuff, and I went down and played with them, me and him and James. That's three of us. James was playing bass, I was playing guitar, and Lars was playing drums, and we rehearsed that Hit the Light song. But way before that, Lars had let me hear the song. We were hanging out watching soccer, and he says, hey, I met this guy, blah, blah, blah. This dude's amazing, by the way. Like, I've, I read a bunch of interviews <laughs> with him. He just seems like the coolest guy in the world. And he's exactly what we want to jam with. And he played this one song, and it was great. And that's how I was first introduced to Hit the Lights. After that, I went over and jam. And he he goes, after that, I went over and jam a few times. (laughs) It's just amazing. (laughs) And he called me and said, they're going to be in this compilation album. And he brought over a tape of Hit the Lights, uh, recorded on a four track, asked me to play some solo for that. And they were going to bring the four track down and they were going to bring it down and dump it in the compilation album none of that had punctuation by the way awesome <laughs> awesome so whoever wrote that out like i mean that not great but anyway so yeah he uh so that that's with that guy i, I didn't i had no idea that that's how they started Never that out it, yeah. yeah no idea so metal massacre one remember we were talking about earlier from metal blade that yes. song they were doing hit the lights on um it, it and it was released on uh, june 14th 1982 the early pressings listed the band incorrectly as Metallica, but with two T's. So M-E-T-T-A-L-L-I-C-A. Don't. Which completely pissed the band off, obviously. However, the song Hit the Lights generated a buzz, and Metallica played their first live performance on March 14, 1982, at Radio City in Anaheim, California. The lineup consisted of James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, Dave Mustaine, and newly recruited bassist Ron McGovney, who had been in James's previous band, Leather Charm. So he was in Leather Charm with James Hetfield. Okay. Their first live success happened as they were chosen to open for British heavy metal band Saxon at one gig of their uh, 1982 U.S. tour. This show was Metallica's second gig ever. In addition, Metallica recorded its first demo, Power Metal, whose name was inspired by Quintana's early business cards in early 1982. Power metal. <laughs> no, could you imagine? He's got like a trench coat on. No! <laughs> Satan's wizard! <laughs> Sorry for all your dogs out there right now that may be going. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. We should totally do a complete oh, yes. a, an yeah. album like yep. that. That'd be amazing. Yep. So in late 1982, Ulrich and Hetfield attended a show at the West Hollywood nightclub Whiskey A Go Go, which featured bassist. Cliff Burton, Aha. playing in the band Trauma. Now, Clifford Lee Burton was born on February 10th, 1962 in Castro Valley, California to Ray and Jan Burton. Cliff's interest in music began when his father introduced him to classical music and he began taking piano lessons. You notice something about James Hetfield, and, who's a great guitarist, uh-huh. and you've got Cliff Burton over here, great bass player, like fantastic. Yeah. It's all about playing piano. Well, okay, so here's the thing. So teach your kids piano. Yeah, once you learn the keys, the notes, it's all relative to every other instrument. Right. Like a saxophone buttons, you know what I mean? They're, it's in the flute. It's saxophone. All, it's all relative. Same with guitar yep. and bass and everything. That's what I tried to, uh, telling my youngest daughter, Charlie. She um, 
she was taking piano lessons, which I don't know. She, I, don't, I don't think she's doing it anymore, but she can read sheet music now mm-hmm. where I can't still. I've written or been a part of, I don't know, th- not thousands, but hundreds of songs. So have no idea how to read sheet music. I have a cheat sheet that I put in the studio. Oh, sweet. I printed it out and it's got all the guitar chords and notes and the frets and what everything is. And same with the keys for the keyboard and everything. Awesome. So every now and then, like if I'm writing something, I kind of look over like, oh yeah, that's what it is. See, with me though, it's, it's just, it's my ear. My ear tells me, is this in key? Is this out of key? Is this not in the right tuning? You know what I mean? Like it, it, yeah. it lets me know like chord wise and everything else. Yeah. But I, I guess I had to kind of work on it. I wish I could go back in time. Do you know about the circle of fifths? Learn to be, huh? The circle of fifths. Did you say circle jerks? Circle of fifths. That, they're a great band. Fifths. <laughs> fifths. One, two, three, four, fifths. <laughs> what you're doing in your mind yeah. when you're hearing notes out of key and everything, you're automatically doing the circle of fifths. Okay, and okay. what that is... I love how he's really over-enunciating the <laughs> fifth part. <laughs> so what it, what it is, basically, is each note will go together mm-hmm. pleasantly mm-hmm. to your ear mm-hmm. or not. Okay. So, like, a D and a G... <laughs> I love... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, a D and G will always sound great together in, right. pro- in progression. Okay. Right. Where, yeah. like, a D and an F won't or like an f sharp and a b will sound right they're pleasant and they're pleasant to your ear so that's called the circle of fifths right so there's a whole music like there's a whole music writing structure and theory behind that and that's basically what's what we have in our heads as musicians you could just hear something call me a uh um, uh, a genius you you could just do that (laughs) if you'd like you know i mean instead of just talking about that whole thing that's true you could have just stopped right there there is science behind it no that's that's awesome i didn't know about that yeah Maybe we'll do a bonus episode about the Circle of Fists. We should. Circle Jerks. And the Circle Jerks. Nice. We'll do that all in one episode. Who are amazing, dude. Circle Jerks are so good. But here's the thing. You could be mediocre and learn the Circle of Fifths, like what all go together and don't. Yeah. And write riffs and play an instrument. And people will be like, wow, how long have you been playing? There's a lot of of musicians who have done that. Yeah. You're saying there's hope? There is hope for you. All right. With there a little bit hope. of brain power. Yeah. Nice. That can go far away. That's right. So Cliff obviously starts taking piano lessons. And in his teenage years, he developed an interest in rock, classical country, and heavy metal. He began playing the bass at Slabadabias at 13 after the death of his brother. Why do you play it so high? Slabadabias. <laughs> I played up yeah, man. Slabadabias. Sorry. So his parents quoted him as saying, quote, I'm going to be the best bassist for my brother. And he practiced up to six hours a day, even after joining Metallica. Jesus. Um, we know someone like that. Like yeah, we've talked about him before. Yeah. Our buddy Steve. Yeah. I mean, you've got that tenacity and dedication, and that's what happens. Yeah. And aside from classical and jazz, Burton's other um, early influences varied from southern rock and country to the blues. So he was just all over the place. He actually cited Getty Lee, Geezer Butler, Stanley Clark, Lemmy Kilmeister, and Phil Linett as significant influences on his style of bass playing. Do you know who any of those are? <laughs> no, I was about to ask, are those actual people? Oh you don't God. know who Lemmy is? Lemmy? Lemmy. That's not the not the Koopa kid in Mario, not the, the dinosaur. I didn't realize that was his name. Who would win in a fight, Lemmy or God? <laughs> what? Wrong, Lemmy is God. <laughs> I'm so confused. And Lemmy was from uh, Motorhead. Ace of Spades. Oh. Yeah. That one song. Right. Do you know who Getty Lee is? Not the guy who wrote the Gettysburg Address? Fly by the high school day of the town. Today's dumb, so you mean, mean. Oh, yeah. Okay. Rush. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't realize who's in So at that time, 
those guys are like the best bass players Absolutely. out in mainstream because Absolutely. they were they were you know Getty Lee you know. amazing bass player not hey. so great of a don't singer. like his voice don't sorry, like his voice yeah, sorry yeah. Rush fans yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you I, I will give him talent props though for sure I told the story how the first time I met my well now in laws um, so you know we went to dinner and they you know my wife girlfriend at the time was introducing me to her parents or whatever and we sit down the first thing she says is oh yeah guess what john doesn't like uh um rush d- rush thank you john doesn't like rush and i'm like oh, why would you say that you know and she was like it, you know they were like oh because she wanted to see how were, you would react right. to the situation and she goes yeah he said uh that getty lee sounds like a drowning cat he does and I'm like, oh, my God, why would you say that to him? Well, they went and got this cat and named him Getty. Ah, <laughs> that's where he got his name nice. from? Yeah, that's where Getty got oh, his name that's from. that's awesome. Yeah. Nice. I love my in-laws. They're so awesome. It's so funny. But a lot of people, like, love love his voice. A lot of people, like, think it's amazing. Well, yeah. some people like the guy who sings in Five Finger Death Punch, too. So, you know, yeah. people have but taste. I mean, Coheed and Cambria, that's uh, a very high very, register. Very, yeah. yeah, but I feel like that's good, though. Mars Volta is a high register. Yeah. Which they just came out with a some yeah, new stuff. Yeah, we did that yeah. in the news. Yeah. Anyway, okay. One but, arm scissor. You know, it's all about. Um, so What's the name of the band? No, well, that's, that's their side project was, at the drive. Yeah, I was about to say at the drive. It's dri- the singer at the drive-in came Ball. first. Yeah, yeah. So Which anyway. was signed to Mike D's label, by the way, from Beastie Boys. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Huh. So going on here. A little sidetrack in there. Yeah. So James and Lars were blown away by Cliff's use of a wah-wah pedal and asked him to join Metallica because he was an amazing bass player. I mean, he had so many different influences that it made him able to do things that, like, nobody else was really doing at that time. Hmm. A wah-wah and a bass. I yeah. never thought of yeah. that. Yeah. That would be really weird. Especially <laughs> that kind of music. Bow, You know? Wow. <laughs> so the two leaders of the band wanted Ron McGovney to leave because they uh, they actually thought he, quote, didn't contribute anything. And so he just followed everyone around. So oh, we've he, all been there, man. He didn't have anything to do. We've all been in bands where you got the one guy. It's yep. like, hmm. Yep. Well, according to McGovney, however, his time in Metallica was reportedly tumultuous as he often clashed with, uh, of course, Lars and with Mustaine. In addition, he felt that aside from using the connections he made as an amateur photographer, his role was that of a money man and transportation provider rather than a respected band member. We've all had that too. Yes. <laughs> like, oh man, yeah, you're you 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 know you kind of suck, but you got a place to practice, so that's pretty cool. And, and you got a car. Yeah, and you got a car <laughs> and a job. So yeah, yeah so like you're, you're finding, in the band. You're finding the band. Yeah. Might as well maybe be in the band. So there's you know? a certain someone who we will not name, but we we both know. Is it? And me? we both had. In projects and bands, just because we needed that kind of filling space. Yep. Ah. Yeah. Oh yeah, it happens. And he's still doing it today, though. I have to give him props. He's still out there. Yeah. Filling the space. Absolutely. He's still filling someone's <laughs> space. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So it, he he felt that they, you know he was ba- basically being taken advantage of rather than actually being a respected mem- member of the band. Yeah. Right. I Makes sense. It. He ultimately quit on December tenth, nineteen eighty two, due to growing tensions. After leaving Metallica, McGovney became uninterested in playing music and sold most of his equipment, and I've known lots of dudes that have done that. I've done that. I know you have. I've thrown in the towel many a times and been like, I'm out, I'm yep. done, got rid of it all, and then like two months later, I'm like, I want back in. I'm that <laughs> idiot that still holds all my stuff. Yeah. Like that red guitar out there, man, uh-huh. that thing's been with me for, well, well, it was away from me for a little while. That's how I move <laughs> on, though. Like that's, I mean, with everything I'm ever yeah. into. Yeah, start over new. Like, if I'm into video games at the time or whatever, like, whatever I'm into, I go, like, all in and then, like, 
if it gets old or it's not working out or it's getting stressful, then I just, I get rid of it all and I bail out and then it's, it's out of my mind. Like right. I don't see it. It doesn't remind me of anything. That's how I do it. Quitter. I'm too. <laughs> Have you heard this? You've heard the stuff we've been writing lately. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's going to be yeah, good. Yeah. We, got, we got a new... Oh, do we... No, we won't talk about it. You we, can drop it in. No, we, we won't talk about it right now. You mean now. riding around? Yeah, we know we won't talk about no? it. It's fine. Oh, okay. So although Cliff Burton actually, uh, he declined the offer to join Metallica at first. I mean, I probably would too if I was that trained of a musician. Just and awesome. Like, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> but by the end of the year, he had accepted on the condition that the band moves to El Cerrito in the San Francisco Bay Area of California, which I'm assuming is probably closer to him. He's like, dude, I'll do this, but I'm not driving. That's so ballsy. Yeah, like, hey, <laughs> like I'm that good that you guys are exactly relocate for me. And he was, like, well, he, he was, he yeah. was. So Metallica's first live performance with Cliff was at the nightclub The Stone in March of 1983, and the first recording to feature Burton was the Megaforce demo. I don't, I don't ever heard that one. No, well, Metallica was ready to record their debut album, but they began looking for other options when Metal Blade could not cover the cost. Metal Blade was a small indie metal label, and those bands weren't making money off their records. They were making money maybe off their records at shows, right? But like you know, you're not you're not hearing uh, Cannibal Corpse on the radio. So you know what I mean? Amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, maybe we, nowadays because you you know you can tune into like Sirius and stuff like well, that. Yeah, but but back then, we don't talk about Sirius. That was not happening. And we've talked about it a million times on this show that when you're first starting out, man, you don't get nothing you have to prove yourself and yeah. it's very hard to do especially back then There's when you had like motley crew and aerosmith and all these huge bands and you're trying to prove yourself with all them in the mix but on a completely different level too sure like you're not even on that level anymore right you know you're you're trying to do something that's kind of underground because that's just what you love mm -hmm. and it's not something that's uh um commercially successful you know, like, you know, I, I guess you have to look at it from, a, you know, what's commercially successful in that genre, you know, like, you know, pop rock and stuff is the biggest thing in the world. Our country is the biggest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. They did but catch like, it at the right time, though. They, they, they did, did. They did. They, but like, was, they fell in at the right time. There was a lot of things that transpired with that, though. You yeah. know what I mean? It was uh, not, um, MTV really helped. Them right, out, right. You know, I mean, Inner Sandman put them on the map. Yeah, it did. It made them just household. Names. You know that Nirvana song, Logan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what we're talking about, right? <laughs> so they wanted to record a new album, but Metal Blade just couldn't do it. So concert promoter Jonathan Johnny Z Z Zalula, or Zazula, sorry, who had heard the the, uh, the demo No Life Till Leather from 1982, offered to broker a record deal between Metallica and New York City-based record labels. Okay, so he's trying to get them some, some bigger labels out there in New York. After those record labels showed no interest, Zazula, check this out, borrowed enough money to cover the recording budget and signed Metallica to his own label, Megaforce Records. How huh. much do you think that was uh, at that time? I don't know, but do you, they also put out a uh, Be Nice. They put out a local, and I'm pretty sure a local band that we know is still signed to them. Wait, really? Yeah. Who? Mushroomhead. Really? Yep. So Mushroomhead was on Universal when I was on Universal. I didn't know Mushroomhead was even still going. Yeah, they're still going. Waylon's not in there, is he? No. No, no, no. In fact, Who's singing? Steve. Steve Rockhurst, by the way, love he my was guys. A bass player, wasn't he? He was a bass player that's been in a bunch of different yeah. bands and stuff. He was in Garvin Garvin Bozia. Garvin Bozia, yeah. yeah, yeah, all those guys. He's the singer. He's now. a singer now. Yeah, and he's killing it, dude. Really? In my opinion, and please don't take offense to this if you happen to be a Mushroomhead fan. My opinion, and he's way better than Hatrix, in my opinion. J Man's not in there. I, I think Jay's still there. Is he? Yeah, I think Jay's still doing it. God, he's got to be up there by now. He's. he's I mean, yeah. not talking trash no, or anything, but I'm saying yeah, he's, he's probably he's a little older than there. me. I'd say yeah. he's probably a little older than me. Huh. But they're still doing it, man. Masks you know? and everything. Oh yeah, 
Still yeah. doing it. And, and uh, uh, Shatner's in there. William? You're right. Not I do remember Shatner. that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. I'm in Mushroom Head. <laughs> this is our new song. It's called Plomp. This is the solitaire <laughs> unraveling. <laughs> nice. nice. From the hole. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, Tommy's okay, in there. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, they're still doing it. So, anyway, yeah, um, our, our, you know, I was in a band with uh, one of the guys from Mushroomhead. Mm-hmm. And so, I know that whole crew and everything else. So, yeah, they were, they, they're, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they are still, can you do me a favor and just double check? Are that? they the only artist on that label? No, now? no, no. I believe they have others on there. Okay. But, I mean, think about that. You are literally on the label that broke Metallica. Pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, even if they're not doing much for you. I mean, hey, we were on a label with Vanilla Ice. This is so true. That's, this is true. That's pretty impressive. But, I mean, they're still touring. They're still doing their thing. So, whatever. I mean, it's, yeah. that's good for them. So, in May of 1983, Metallica traveled to Rochester, New York, to record its debut album, Metal Up Your Ass, which Paul <laughs> Cersurio, or, or, or Cursui, Cursui, uh, we'll call him Paul C. he produced. Unfortunately, the other members of Metallica decided to eject Mustaine from the band because of his drug and alcohol abuse and violent behavior just before the recording sessions on April 11th, 1983. About this time, Mustaine told Loudwire magazine, <coughs> and I quote, when you're around a lot of people that like to drink and get silly, they just want to have fun. That's what he's saying about it. Um, I would drink and have fun until someone would refute something I had to say or had said. And then that was war, baby. I'd be aggressive and confrontational because I was a violent drunk. I'd lost all inhibitions when I was drinking, and that didn't go over well in the end. Yeah, can't have a freaking mean guy in the band. If you watch some kind of monster, he actually breaks down in front of a therapist on camera about it. Oh, wow. Because they interviewed him wanting to know like his his whole story and his part of Metallica. He had a bad drug problem. And, and he's like sitting else, on yeah. the couch and he's talking about it and he just starts bawling his eyes. Yeah, and okay, he's I like, I could have been that guy. He's like, I could be out there making millions like these guys are and I could have been part of that and I screwed it up and he just starts crying. Yeah. And it's like, wow. And, <laughs> if, you, and if you've it's never seen, deep. and I'm assuming you've probably never seen some kind of monster, right? Uh, no. If you want to know, and this is the, the easiest, best way I can put into, I guess, a short little phrase mm-hmm. of how big Metallica was or is, they hired a new bass player, right? And his sign-on bonus was a million dollars. That's how big they they are. They had that kind of cash sitting in like in reserve to hire someone to say, "You're now in the band. Here's a million bucks." Yeah, that's... and it was pretty cool because he was so humbled. He he was like he he cried. You could see him crying, yeah. and tearing up because he he finally made it. It's pretty know? wild. If you guys get, and we'll was, talk uh, about it later. Oh, you're talking about him later. Yeah, yeah. we'll talk yeah. about yeah. it. Uh, probably in part two. Where he came we'll talk from. about him. Yeah, hmm. he's a great guy too. He's just oh, awesome. He's, awesome. Yeah. he's my favorite one in the band. I think. Yeah, at this it's just point. his his yeah. energy. Yeah. Yeah. So the end of for Mustaine came on April 11th, 1983, and it came without warning. Okay, Metallica had already hired Kirk Hammett as their new lead guitarist. At around 9 a.m. that morning, James, Lars, and Cliff woke up Mustaine. By the way, this is kind of messed up. <laughs> Not going to lie. This kind of feels like a Shinoa thing that happened to me. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh-oh. So they woke him up, and of course he was suffering from a tremendous hangover. And, uh, well, they told him he was out of the band. Quote, the thing that really upset me was that they never gave me a warning and I never got a second chance. It was just, hey man, you're out, see you later. Well, when Mustaine asked when his flight back to California was, um, he was told he wasn't flying. He was taking a four-day bus ride. Even worse, the bus was scheduled to leave in an hour. Oh my God. (laughs) 
<laughs> so Mustaine scrambled to pack a, tra a travel bag, and James drove him to the music building in Queens to 42nd Street and 8th Avenue in Manhattan. I bet that was the most awkward yeah, I was about to say that of James' been. life. I'm sure that was probably yeah. not good. So during the, you know, of course, just seemingly endless bus ride here, according to LiveWire.com, he was rightfully pissed for a while and then decided to write some new lyrics. Since he didn't have any paper, he wrote on the back of a handbill from Senator Alan Cranston. Okay, a handbill like a flyer. Okay. Yeah, okay. A message on the front of the card referred to the stockpiling of nuclear weapons that read, quote, the arsenal of Megadeth can't be rid. After considerable thought, Mustaine decided the term Megadeth would make a cool name for a metal band. Wait, he's a Megadeth? Especially if it were misspelled as Megadeth, D-E-T-H. That's da awesome. Dave Mustaine started Megadeth. See, now you connect the dots. I know, okay. And we'll most definitely talk about Megadeth as well, because, oh, again, Megadeth. amazing band. So, yeah, That's we'll awesome. definitely be talking about them. So now let's talk about Kurt Hammett, all right? Yeah. Kurt Hammett was born, or Kurt Lee Hammett, we got another Lee, mm, careful, hmm. was born on November 18th, 1962 in San Francisco, California, and raised in the town of El Sobrante. He is the son of Teofia uh, Chafeya and Dennis L. Hammett, a merchant mariner. I know, really, <laughs> it's, like, it's like James Hetfield, the trucker <laughs> in the right. opera. <laughs> this one's like Teofila Chafeya and... Dennis, Dennis Hammett. <laughs> uh, so while attending the Anza High School, he met a, uh, a guy named Les Claypool. <laughs> and he remained uh, very close friends with them. And we will talk about him, especially his, in part two. His friend Wynona's got a big brown beaver. <laughs> and he's got a friend named Jerry that was a race car driver. I don't know if you knew that. And a friend named Mud. Yeah. I don't know if you knew any of that. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's pretty awesome. I feel like these are like <laughs> song hints. <laughs> My name is Mutt. You never. Oh, that sounds god. so familiar. Wait, hold on. That sounds so familiar. Amazing what? bass player. Primus. Some. Oh my god, so good. Oh really? Primus. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. All right. So Kirk began showing an interest in music after. It's like, it's a whole new life. <laughs> yeah. He's going to go home and tell his wife, like, did you know? <laughs> well, that's what I'm hoping that our listeners yeah, are doing, man. That's why exactly. I try to find these cool little you. things. It's pretty cool, though, isn't but it? I, how yeah. it's all connected. I've been texting this whole time. like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And now I'm like, oh, my God, this is awesome. It's mind-blowing. <laughs> so Kurt began uh, showing interest in uh, music after listening to his brother Rick's extensive record collection, which included Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, and UFO. In addition, he was a huge horror movie fan, but began selling his horror magazines and other stuff that he had to actually buy albums. He wanted to buy records instead. Hmm. This uh, infu infu infatuation led him to pick up the guitar at 15 years old. His first guitar was, in his own words now, quote, a whole, uh, wholly unglamorous. A, it was a, uh, no, excuse me, I'm, let me rephrase this. A wholly unglamorous Montgomery Ward catalog special that came with a shoebox with a four-inch speaker for an amp. <laughs> Very similar to mine. So I was 14 and I got mine in a garage sale. Mm -hmm. It was a red Hondo, which if any guitar player out there knows, the Hondos were like the, the Japanese cheap, cheap Walmart crap guitar, right? So I had that and then I had a Gorilla Amp, which was, I think it was an 8-inch single speaker. And it had the Gorilla logo on it and you had a little knob for distortion and you had treble, mid, and low, and then master volume. Where'd you get it from? Three houses down from where I lived. Oh, somebody else had it. Uh-huh. The teenage kid, like, was selling it. So He's my... like, Mom, this thing's a piece of crap. Sell it to the boy down the street. I remember, like, clear as day, we're sitting there. Hey, put double your money. <laughs> yeah. We're sitting there. My dad's like, hey, they got a garage sale. You want to go down there? I'm like, yeah, okay. So we went down there, and we were looking at all the stuff, and it was sitting in the corner. 
And he's like, you want to get it? You want to learn how to play guitar? I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. So he bought it for me. My dad did. And we went home. And I picked it up, plugged it in, and I was like, and I was like, I don't understand. Completely out of corner. Yeah, I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> How old were you? 14. Okay. And then they're like, well, we're going to give you lessons. It'll be good for you. I'm like, okay. So they signed me up for lessons. I took three years of lessons and wow. like learned notes and all that, and how to tune and everything. Hmm. And then from there, it just took off. But then, you know, in bands and stuff, I always ended up filling the spot that we couldn't fill. That you've always thing. been, you've kind of always been that guy. I've always been like the, the fill-in yeah. guy. Yeah, for whatever we need. Yeah. yeah. Which I, is fine with me because I like doing everything anyways. Yeah. yeah. You've always kind of been that guy. I mean, yep. you could, well, I mean, that's the one thing. Like, I've never, I've never, well, I can't say that. I played bass in one of my first bands that I was ever in. Uh, it was actually a death metal band. Uh, you know the guy, Zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. was actually the first bass player Mate. of that band. Yeah, yeah, I went out and, like, Justin and all those guys. Yeah. Wait, was this Antonora? No. Oh. It was Zero. Oh, it was Zero? Yeah. Oh. So, um, with an X. <laughs> Zero with an X. Just so and, we know. And a splatter font, so you yeah. can't even understand what it says. <laughs> oh, I love Justin, man. That's my boy. I still talk to him. He yeah. comes into the bar all the time. He's super cool. And uh, so anyway, that was the first one. But I've never played any an instrument. I've always been the front man. Always. I've done almost everything. I've done everything except drums at this point in like an actual playing out band. Fluffer? Yeah. Yeah? Fluffer? Yeah, I did that live. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Like hey, people pay to see it. I mean... <laughs> You got to make money. Oh, you mean... This is supposed oh. to be a PG show, guys. All right, let's get back on <laughs> All this. Right. All right. So after that guitar, he purchased a 1978 Fender Strat copy. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And uh, he attempted to customize the sound with it, you know, adding various parts to it and, like, kind of configuring. And, you know, you're Frankensteining your, your guitar. Yeah. You, you know how it is. I've hey. done that, yeah. Until eventually buying a 1974 Gibson Flying V, baby. There it is. What an amazing guitar. Really. I have a great little just side story about him and guitars. So okay. I actually saw Metallica. Oh, how, how long ago was this? Lamb of God opened for him. It was at the Q. It was called the Q at the time. Which is now uh, Rocket Mortgage. Is it that one? Mortgage. Yeah, Romo Fijo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Is> that what <laughs> That's they what they call it, it. yeah. <laughs> That's the acronym of it. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Romo Fijo. Yeah. I don't know if I like that. So... I went and saw it because my brother-in-law called me up. He's like, hey, he's like, you like Metallica? And at the time, I was like, yeah, they're okay. He's <laughs> like, do you want to go see him in the Loge? And I said, yes, I do. Yeah. Go see yeah. anyone in the Loge. Yeah. So his work bought a bunch of tickets. And so we went and I watched him. That was the first time I ever saw Metallica. It was unbelievable. It was right when the um, Death Magnetic album came out. And dude, I, I'm not kidding you. So Kurt had a different guitar for every song and they played for like three hours I was gonna say they probably played like it 45 was, songs too like the, the the cabinet was god had to be like 40 foot long and it had like I don't know 80 different guitars in there and he would just after every song the tech would go grab a different one and bring it he played a different guitar for every single song that night it was so, like wow you ever hear that term <laughs> um, F you money yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm changing it to Metallica money. <laughs> yeah, All right, exactly. that's what I'm gonna do because they got money, dude. They're literally one of the most paid, especially in the metal world. Yeah. There is not a, a bigger band when it comes yeah. to metal at all, oh, ever. They're, and what, they catch haters for that. Too. And it's fine. Because they're, oh, they're so loud. They're sellout. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I heard, um, uh, who was it? Uh, James Hetfield said one time, he was. everyone's like, yeah, they're calling you a sellout. He's like, yeah, we sell out arenas every night. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Make right. your money, man, you know? Sure. 
Hey, what were you going to say? I was going to say, well, doesn't that make sense, though, for, like, if your songs have a different sound, so you wanted to bring out a guitar for a different sound? I well, mean, yeah. Normally, you use pedals for that that don't cost, <laughs> yeah. like, three grand. Or you have, like, two or three guitars that you could switch to. Right. This dude had a different... He legit... I wish I would take a picture of it. It was 80 guitars, dude. Oh, my God. Like, there was a different guitar for every single song for three hours. I couldn't believe it. I'm telling my brother-in-law, and he's like, yeah, what's the big deal? I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Like, this yeah, is wild. insane. Yeah. That's wild. Well, what's kind of cool here is not kind of well. It's cool for Kirk, but not so much for Dave Mustaine. Here is that Kirk actually uh, he replaced Dave Mustaine the same afternoon. Oh, so they put Dave on a bus and Kirk came in. They had that plan. Oh yeah. So Metallica's first live performance with Kirk Hammett was on April 6, nineteen eighty three, at a nightclub in Dover, New Jersey, called the Show Place. So now Mustaine has expressed his dislike for Kurt in interviews. I had to put this in here because it's pretty funny. Saying that he, quote, stole his job. Mustaine was, quote, pissed off because he believed Hammett became popular by playing guitar leads that Mustaine had written. Oh, God. In a 1985 interview, and this is shortly after this whole thing happened, so I get it. The wounds are fresh. Right. In a 1985 interview with uh, Metal Forces, uh, Mustaine said, quote, It's real funny how Kirk Hammett ripped off every lead break I'd played on that No Life Till Leather tape and got voted number one guitarist in your magazine. Yeah, so he was, like, telling the reporter, like, yeah, I'll do the freaking interview with you, buddy. Right. You know, but I'm going to tell you what's up. So because of conflicts with its record label and the distributor's refusal to release an album titled Metal Up Your Ass, the album was renamed Kill Em All. It was released on Megaforce Records in the U.S. and on Music for Nations in Europe and peaked at number 155 on the Billboard 200 in 1986, which is pretty cool considering the top... 10 on Billboard that year were Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer. Might as well face it, you're addicted to love. Bam, bam. Kyrie by Mr. Mister. <gasps> Kyrie. Carry on lazing down the road that I will travel. Okay. Burning Heart by Survivor. I don't remember that one. <laughs> I was waiting for crickets. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that one. Yeah, I, I don't remember that one. The Tiger by Survivor. Yeah, how about this one? Party All the Time by Eddie Murphy. <gasps> That should be number one. Yeah. Wait, what? My girl wants to... Bu- you didn't know he was a singer? Eddie he, Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Came, up with, oh, yes. You're talking about Beverly, or Beverly Hills yeah. Cop? Yes. Eddie, talking about Shrek the you know, Donkey? <laughs> yeah, that guy, Eddie Murphy. I mean, I know he could sing, but I know he was a singer. Do you know who Rick James is? I'm Rick James. Yeah, yes. He teamed up with Rick James. He's in the video. Yeah. No like, kidding. Rick James helped him write the song. He had song an entire and, record. Yeah. In fact, he, I think he had a couple of them, but yeah, yeah he's... He did. Oh. Um, How Will I Know by Whitney Houston's number six. Uh, Broken Wings by Mr. Mister. You know that from GTA. Oh, yeah. It's such City. A good. I know all, all of Mr. Mister. These broken wings. This is yep. harmonized. Ooh. <laughs> I got chills. <laughs> On My chills. Own by Patti LaBelle and Michael McDonald. Yeah, how does that one go? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I Miss You by Climax. Not sure. It's number three on Billboard's. Um, I'd have to yeah. hear it. Say You, Say Me by Lionel oh, Richie. Oh, yeah. Say You. <laughs> said me say it for always that's that, the way it should be that's nicole richie's dad so that you that's how you can connect that one i don't who's know nicole who that is yeah. you don't know nicole i think that's before him too oh really yeah, yeah, Wait, yeah. who's nicole richie? wasn't that that was the paris hilton and nicole paris hilton before him the, what were they called no no no, 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 no. who's nicole richie paris hilton's like little side person that she hung out with her little cohort oh yeah okay not christina richie that's richie 
I don't know R. who that I. is. And, oh, my God. Never mind. And <laughs> number one for that year was That's What Friends Are For by oh, Dion Warwick, yeah. Elton John, and Gladys Knight. Elton John was in that? Yeah. I didn't know oh, yeah. that. That's what friends are for. What, does he do like a harmony with her or something in the yeah, chorus? Yeah, because he goes, keep shining. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyway, it's kind of cool that they actually broke into the the 200. A when, metal song. When those yeah. were your top tens. Those are all like pop, R&B, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. So it's kind of cool that a metal song came out of left field, and or metal album, should I say, and, and actually charted. So it's awesome. Yeah. So although the album was not initially a financial success, it earned Metallica a growing fan base in the underground metal scene. They began, uh, the band embarked on the Kill 'Em All for One tour with Raven to support the release. In February of 1984, Metallica supported Venom on the Seven Dates of Hell tour, during which the band uh, performed in front of 7,000 people at the, oh boy, Ardshock Festival in Zwolle, Netherlands. I wish we could interview Venom today. That'd be awesome. Be like, so Metallica opened up for you. Yeah. And now they're the biggest band of all time. How are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You just hear, no, 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 just kidding, just kidding. So Metallica recorded the album in only two weeks on a shoestring budget, okay? And initially, the band only printed 1,500 copies, okay? Did you did you hear that over there? 1,500 copies. Yes. That's it? No, so that's what they printed first, right? And recorded it in two weeks. Since it's released... Or no, since, this is since it was released. Cassette tapes at that time, right? No, four tracks. Um, I would assume they probably did 1,500 like, copies of cassette tapes. They probably it would did vinyl. Would it be vinyl? Yeah, in 83, yeah, in 85 or whatever it is. I, yeah, I, I would have think thought so. that would have been cassette tapes by then. It might be. But regardless, 1,500 copies initially printed, two weeks, shoestring budget, and it's sold uh, over 3 million Ooh. copies now. Yeah, wow. boy. And that's their numero uno. You know what I mean? Hmm. Do you think Lars was like, I told you so. <laughs> I told you it was going to happen. Dude, bro, like, listen, uh, it's going to work. <laughs> so Metallica then recorded their second studio album, Ride the Lightning, at Sweet Ooh. Silence Studios in Copenhagen, Denmark, from February to March 1984. It was released in August of 1984 and reached uh, number 100 on the Billboard 200. Unfortunately, a French printing press mistakenly printed green covers for the album, which are now considered collector's items. I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you can find one of those of Ride the Lightning you with a green. Probably, you know who probably has one? Who? Rob Arnold, I bet. I guess. Oh, I, yeah, He's like sure he probably Metallica does. We need to get ever. him in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you find one of those, get it. So Mustaine received writing credit for Ride the Lightning and the Call of Cthulhu. Uh, Cthulhu. It says Cthulhu. It's Cthulhu. It's Cthulhu. Cthulhu. <laughs> it's Cthulhu, but on here, it's it's the way they write it is Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Yeah. So Electra Records at uh, A&R director Michael Alago and co-founder of Q-Prime management Cliff Bernstein attended a Metallica concert in September of 1984. Oh, that's pretty cool. There's the green cover. They were, yeah. oh, yeah, see? Yeah, they, they yeah, totally screwed little, it up. Little, <laughs> you know what it is? It's, it looks like they did four-color process yeah. and forgot the blue. Yeah. They like, screwed it ran up. out of blue. Yeah. Like, eh, it's good enough. <laughs> it's fine. Nobody knows who Metallica yeah. is. They're like, listen, it's 1,500 copies. These guys are going yeah. nowhere. Who gives a shit? How are you supposed to ride lightning? <laughs> <laughs> I tried that once and my butthole still hurts. Anyway, so uh, these guys over here, these, you know, from Electra Records and the Q Prime management, they were super impressed with the, uh, the you know, the band's performance and they signed Metallica to Electra, okay, which is a much bigger record label. Mm-hmm. They also made them a, a Q Prime management artist. So now they have management and they have a label, hmm. which is awesome. I wonder if they had to like bargain or like. 
you know, talk themselves up for that. Like management had to like work that for, or if they were just like, we want you, we know you're going to be I big. think that's what it was. I, I think the buzz was so big on them at that time Probably. that I think that it was like, yeah, we want these guys. We got to get them. So they also made the, or, or I'm sorry, they also made Metallica's growing success was such that the band's British label Music for Nations released Creeping Death as a limited edition single, which itself sold 40,000 copies as an import in the U.S. So back in the day, there's mm-hmm. these things called imports. Yeah. Do, do you ever buy any of those? Um, I know, like import cars. It's uh, not the same concept. No. We used to go to like Sam Goody or. Uh what was the other Suncoast video had music back then? Coconuts. Coconuts. And like they would have a back section mm-hmm. where it was all imports and like the price tags and all the, the wording was like in like Japanese fonts and like, oh, you know, different languages and stuff like that. Those, those, those were the imports and they would have like a rare B-side that you wouldn't get on oh. a regular album. Or even like even something as corny as uh, uh, if somebody over in, I don't know, let's just say Spain mixed uh, some famous, you know, uh, producer or whatever mixed a version of a song. They would put that out, and it would become an import. Huh. And then that guy is now attached to that, so he makes his money off that, and the the band and the label and everybody else makes more because you've got more product out there. Mm. You know, it's yeah, that's just kind of how it worked back in the day. Yeah. Nowadays, I don't know if they even do that nowadays. No, not with streaming and everything. Yeah. Now they just do that with yeah. uh, TikToks. <laughs> so two of the three songs on the record, um, a, a cover of uh, cover versions of Diamond Heads, Am I Evil, and Blitzkrieg's Blitzkrieg appeared on the 1988 Electric, uh, Electric reissue of Kill 'Em All. With unforgettable songs like For Whom the Bell Tolls, Creeping Death, and Fade to Black, Ride the Lightning has sold over 5 million copies in the U.S. and has been certified five times platinum by the RIAA. And this is a metal band. A metal band that most people are like, oh, I can't even, I can't even understand what they're saying. You know what I mean? That so, devil music, that, de- that devil music. You know what I mean? Zombie Land One, the intro in the very beginning. That's for whom the bell tolls. I know Metallica song. Okay, all right. I was just checking. Well, listeners might. I'm glad you actually brought that up because you know that bell in the beginning of for whom the bell tolls. Yeah. You know that whatever. Yeah. That's not really a bell. It's actually uh, what well, here. Let me let me let me say how uh, the the producer here, Fleming Rasmussen, recalled. "Quote: We had an anvil in the studio, and Lars had to bang that. It it could have been that, or uh, from a record of sound effects. But there was a really heavy cast iron anvil and a metal hammer, and we stuck them in an all concrete room. He would just go." Away, that song just became way more uh, yeah, metal. That's than what it I said. Yeah, it's so that's, metal. That is pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's so metal on every level. It sounds so clear. And too. here's something yeah. for all you super uh, music nerds out there. Okay, if you've ever tried to play along with the studio album version of "For Whom the Bell Tolls," mm-hmm. you've probably had some tuning issues with it. Okay, that's because the song is actually a quarter step above standard tuning. Okay, huh. so why? Why would they do that? Well, as Metallica Wiki here says um, there are two theories, and the, the, I, I believe range. I, no, no, no. I believe one more than the other. The first is that the, is that the band intentionally sped up the record, pitch shifting it in the process, which I don't really, I don't really see them doing that. There's not well, Creeping Death's a fast song. I mean, it's a fast song, but why? You know what I mean? Why everything else? The second is that the guitars are tuned up a quarter step to match the pitch of the bell, I mean anvil, in the very beginning of it. Which I think is metal as Nike. I mean, if they're gonna, but God, what a pain in the ass to tour and play those. Well, I'll, what do you I think mean, he has you separate a guitars? Sample of, well, yeah, I see, guess. Yeah. he's got separate guitars. Yeah, yeah. Huh. every song is different because he got a different. A half step, a half step. Okay, so the next band we do, I need ten guitars. Okay, 
and we need an anvil. Well, we got three. Listeners, can you do us a favor? <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. Patreon. We yeah. need an anvil. Yeah. So Metallica then embarked on its first major European tour with Tank to an average crowd of about 1,300 people, which is decent, not bad. Returning to the U.S. and embarked upon a tour co-headlining with Wasp and supported by Armored Saint. Do either of you happen to know who Armored Saint is? That sounds vaguely familiar. No, I do not. No? Okay. They were, weren't they signed on by, uh, uh, what's it called? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> That's the move that everybody does when they want to think they know what they're talking about, but they don't. I just wanted to be like, whoa. <laughs> no, you leave it open-ended. Metal Blade, isn't that the same guys? Didn't they sign them on? I don't, you looked it up. That's what I'm saying. That's why I think I know that, that name, because I literally just saw it. Well, Do you actually know it? But the, the band? No. Oh, I thought you were doing like oh, the, no. the smooth like, no, you know. <laughs> well, Armored Saint featured John Bush on vocals. Any idea who that might be? Uh, no. One of the George's kids? Nope. No. <laughs> well, he later went on to front Anthrax for a while. I actually got to go on tour with that okay. version of Anthrax with John Bush. So oh. it's kind of cool that this whole thing kind of, you know what I mean? I got to meet and hang he out with the, the guy. He was the singer? He was the singer. From of, the 90s. And um, early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was only on like two records. Yeah. Wait, wait, yeah. You, you said Armored Saint, right? Correct. Yeah. Metal He's Blade. the one that did uh, Metal Blade? Awesome. Yeah. Safe Home. Yes. I love that song. With Keanu so much. Reeves in the yes. video. Yeah. I love that damn song you so much. That was my favorite. Every time it'd come on, I'm like, yes. Yeah. So Metallica played its largest show at the Monsters of Rock Fest at Donegan Park in England on August 17th, 1985 with <laughs> Bon Jovi and Rat. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, though. Old school, like beginning Bon Jovi was very hair metal. Yeah. But then Dude, bon Bad Jovi. Medicine. Think about it. Hair Not metal. metal, but hair Correct. metal. Correct. That's what right, I'm saying. Right. They were they were never metal. Like, no, no. You, you, would you, listeners out there, do us a favor, tweet us uh, or hit us on our socials or whatever. Would you go and see a concert where Bon Jovi and Metallica were playing today? To, to, today? God, no. Yeah. It would no, never no. happen. I wouldn't do that. But how, how often does it happen with newer bands nowadays or even when we were doing it? I mean, think about it. You'd always have, like, a complete polar opposite and then, you know, like yeah. crazy, crazy, crazy metal or crazy something. It, it yeah, but never on, a, on a national tour, though, locally I could see that, but not on a national tour. Like, who put that tour together? Yeah, you know what I mean? You've got, you know, and then you got, master, master. You know what I mean? Like, what the, how is this, how is that even working? So anyway, they played in front of 70,000 people, which is ginormous. Huh. Then at the Day on the Green Festival in Oakland, California, the band then played in front of a crowd of 60,000 people. They're getting out there. They're doing it. So now their, thirst, uh, thirst, their third studio album, Master of Puppets, was recorded at Sweet Silent Studio back in Denmark. That's for all you Stranger Things kids out there. What was that? Oh, yeah. Is this the one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was recorded at Sweet Silent again uh, from September to uh, December in 1985 and was released in March of 1986. The album reached number 29 on the Billboard 200 and spent 72 weeks on the chart wow. for a metal band. That's pretty crazy. So that is insane. I heard, and I'm going to look it up, but I think I heard, if I'm not mistaken, that they went to number one now, just like the Kate Bush thing. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they did. Because of the show. Well, now, okay, so I'll, I'll put it this way. Before Stranger Things came out, okay, this album, Master of Puppets, has sold... Um, well, it was it was the band's first album to be certified gold in November of nineteen um, uh, number of, uh, 1986, Okay, gold. Right, right. right. Gold is five hundred or five hundred thousand copies. Correct. Right. Yep. Um, it has sold over six million copies since then, and that's before Stranger Things. 
So right now they're it, in the top forty right now. Yeah, they're just because of Stranger Things. They're going Man, through we need the to roof. Get music on Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, it'd be nice, right? Yeah, let's let's figure it out. I mean, let's all these songs are like thirty-seven years old, and yeah. they're making millions of dollars again. I know. Just send them one of your old songs. It happened to everybody else. But they got to fit the mold. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, in the storyline, you know. Oh. So now, in 2015, Master of Puppets became the first ever metal album in history to be selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry. I didn't know that. That's amazing. That is really cool. Yes, that is amazing. Man, that's an achievement I yes. would love to have. Wouldn't that be cool? Absolutely. So following the album's release, Metallica supported the one and only Ozzy Osbourne on a U.S. tour. During this time, James decided that he uh, thought it'd be a good idea to go skateboarding and broke his wrist. Oops. Yes. Mm. While on a tour with Ozzy Osbourne. Of course. Everything bad always <laughs> Ozzy probably went up and was like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> why, why are you skateboarding? You, you know, Sh- Sharon! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a James response. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah. So now he did continue the tour by, you know, he basically just sang the entire time. And uh, the guitar tech, uh, John Marshall, actually played the guitar for him. So I bet that was the best time of that kid's oh, life. Oh, yeah. That dude is <laughs> like, hey, hey, kid, you want to get up here and play live? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh! <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. So on the night of September 26, 1986, Metallica was traveling between tour dates in Sweden when uh, Cliff Burton and guitarist Kurt Hammett drew cards to decide who would get to choose a bunk on the bus. The bassist, Kurt, or Kurt, uh, Cliff over here, he drew the ace of spades mm. and chose the bunk that Kurt had actually been sleeping in. Quote, I said, fine, take my bunk. Kurt said, and this is recalling to VH1's behind the music. He said, uh, he goes on to say, uh, quote, I'll sleep up front. It's probably better anyway. In the early morning of September 27th, 1986, shortly before 7 a.m., the band members were awakened abruptly when the bus began to sway from side to side. The driver later, later told authorities that he lost control of the bus after hitting a patch of black ice. The bus left the road and flipped over on its side, and Cliff Burton, asleep in the top bunk, was thrown through the window. As the bus came down, it landed on top of him. He was only 24 years old. Reportedly, attempts were made to try and rescue him from underneath the bus by lifting it with a crane, but the crane slipped and the bus crashed down on top of him a second time. Band members and onlookers have given different accounts of whether you know Cliff actually died upon the first impact or when the bus came down again. Whichever way it happened, Cliff Burton actually died at the scene. So James uh, Hetfield has actually said, Quote, I saw the bus lying right on, on top or on him. I saw his legs sticking out. I freaked. The bus driver, I recall, was trying to yank the blanket out from under him to use it for other people. I just went, don't fucking do that. I ar- already wanted to kill the bus driver. I don't know if he was drunk or if he hit some ice. All I knew was he was driving and Cliff wasn't alive anymore. So James has said he walked up and down the road in his socks and underwear looking for black ice and found none. The band had spe- uh, has speculated over the years that uh, if drinking or drugs could have played a role in the accident or if the driver maybe happened to fall asleep behind the wheel. An investigation cleared the driver uh, of any, any uh, wrongdoing. And, um, you know, so basically nothing, no, no charges or anything like that were ever done for the uh, driver. So Cliff Burton was cremated and his ashes were scattered at the Maxwell Ranch in California. Met- uh, Metallica's Orion was played at the cemetery uh, and at the ceremony and uh, lyrics from To Live Is To Die are engraved upon his memorial stone. Quote, cannot the kingdom of salvation take me home. In an interview with Gibson TV, Kurt Hammett, who could have been the one in that bunk that night, has said, quote, the last show that we played with Cliff was a spectacular show. 
It was the first show after maybe six or seven weeks when James was back on guitar because he had broken his arm during the Ozzy tour. His arms were healed. Uh, his arm was healed uh, enough so he was able to play guitar, and it was the first show where we had James back, and it was the night that Cliff died. Everyone was just so happy James was back, and to have James um, James's guitar fueling everything again, rather than me and John Marshall, the tech that I was talking about earlier, sharing that duty. We played really, really well and felt like we were back 100%. So that last show was one of the best shows we'd played all fucking year, and in retrospect, I'm glad Cliff's last show was special in that regard. It really was, in all respects, one of the best shows we'd played, and Cliff was very, very happy. So knowing that is a good thing. Then he goes on to say, it didn't really truly sink in until about three weeks after. Um, as a tribute to Cliff's memory, it was important for us to go on, you know, to keep doing her thing. Those first two weeks, it was up and down. We had no idea what we were going to do. It was taking, I was taking guitar lessons, the old standby for musicians who can't find any gigs or band. That's what I was actually thinking. And that, my friends, is going to be the end of Metallica Part 1. This week in music news. Well, on a little brighter note... Yeah, it's rough. That's a rough one. It's to get rough, through, man. man. There, it really is. There's a couple more throughout their story that yeah. we're going to touch yeah, on, but we're going to be like, wow. You didn't know? Yeah, really? I didn't know any yeah. of that. This is what I was trying it's to tell rough. you earlier. Like, you know, we were talking about doing this, doing Metallica, and I, yeah. I was telling you, I'm like, there's a lot that you're going to be like, what? Yeah. I thought it was more like bickering and stuff. Oh, no. no, no, no and there's yeah. there's more to come. Oh, yeah. gosh. Um, I need more drinks. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> Who here likes Pantera? Uh, I do. I do. Do you? I do. Decent. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. What? So they have announced. They're, I, they're, I heard this. Did you? I okay. heard this. Don't ruin it. I didn't hear it. Okay. They're coming back on a tour. Yeah. Like a short tour mm-hmm. with Mushroom Head. Obviously, <laughs> Dimebag Daryl was murdered. Right, right here in our I, great state of Ohio. Ironically, mm-hmm. we, your dad and I, played the show the we, next the next time they opened. Yeah. That was our band. Oh wow. So we went on the stage where he was just killed. Yeah. And Oof. played our show. Yeah. Oof. It was weird. Oof. Anyways, uh, you know who's filling in his boots? Um, the one and only Zach Wild, baby. Yeah. Now and, like, listen, you couldn't have picked a better person. I, I, I so uh, okay. Who uh, in uh, the uh, what's his name uh, that's playing drums from Anthrax? Um, what's his name? Joey yeah, Ber- Bernante is that his name? Yes, yeah, something like that. Oh, so so he's playing drums, which I think is awesome because he's a great drummer. Um, a lot of people are really upset about this. I don't know why because they think it's just a cash grab and they shouldn't be playing this now that both both you know dime what? and um um Vinny are dead yeah but here's the thing everybody is coming back now i mean look at all these washed up I nursing home people that are it. out there we laugh every day about motley crew yeah mm-hmm. oh we my do. god yeah the tiktoks are amazing because mm-hmm. i mean it's just it's so bad <laughs> that it's like how are these guys still making hundred dollars a ticket people just love to, it like, you know because they, they love it the pantera only made it because they were in spongebob what you didn't know that? No. Dude, there's an episode, it's like season two or season three of Spongebob, that that's like the music is all done by Pantera. You realize Pantera was around like God, yes. way before that. Just, I mean, just so I'm weird. I'm just saying, they just made so it clear. on the chart because of Spongebob, <laughs> that's, right? That's not what, no. That's, no, no, no. You were not, oh you were not doing, no. <laughs> I will not give that to you, no. So Pantera fans, be excited. I mean, that's pretty cool news, I think. Um, another yeah, thing. Well, before you go, though, I, I think that first and foremost, um, Zach and and Dime were very close friends. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Very close friends. So if anyone... Zach has the chops to pull off his... Yeah. And if anyone could too. can do it and and should be able to, I to be honest, I'd be I'd be interested to see how it is. I would, I mean? for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys like Ozzy Osbourne, right? Oh, Ozzy. I like so, him in Austin Powers. Sharon! You remember his, his hit song, Mama, I'm Coming Home? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Somebody's covering it. Yeah, Post Maloney? No. Oh. One Carrie Underwood. Wait, what? what? Yeah. Carrie Underwood, really? She, she covered it. Um, maybe we could play it on the bonus. On the bonus, oh, we yeah, can do that. Yeah. Check that out. But yeah, she just covered it, and it's getting a lot of buzz. Like, a lot of people are like... I saying it's better than the original. I like, love me some Carrie Underwood. She can sing. I'll oh yeah. Oh yeah. She sure. can sing for sure. Um, on on a completely side note, so, um, you know, because you were saying maybe we can play it on the bonus because we yeah. can't play like people's songs on here without having. Well, apparently, um, YouTube also goes after you when you happen to just sing the song as in us sitting here talking. Oh. Because oh, if yeah? it picks up the melody line, it immediately gets flagged. I had to go and contest four of them today. There you go. Well, AI people. <laughs> contest this one, too, because you guys oh, yeah. did a whole lot of singing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're going to let AI run the world. We just have to, a team so. of people who do that. I won one of them already, so I'm just oh, waiting nice, for the nice, other ones to come nice. back. Yeah. I had to contest my own stuff, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Like, for my Code November stuff, like, it, it showed up somewhere, and I had to contest. I'm like, yeah, this is me. <sighs> so, anyways, uh, so we'll have to check that out. That seems interesting. And then lastly in the news, uh, Icons and Outlaws alumni, Mr. Jay-Z... Oh, Jay-Z. Says he's open Such to whatever. He says he's coming out of retirement. He's open to whatever. Yeah, because... So, well, Beyonce has a new album. Ah, go on tour, but man. Get that money. It will be interesting to see. Get that money. Yeah. yeah. Um, any deaths this week? Nothing notable. And I okay. don't mean that in a bad way. It's just... Nothing prominent that's popped people up. People wouldn't know the people, you know what I mean, or what they're from. So Awesome. Well, listen, make sure to follow, like, and subscribe to all of our social media channels. Just search for Icons and Outlaws wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and connect with your favorite people. This has been, obviously, Metallica Part 1. You just said you learned a bunch of new stuff today, oh, Logan, right? stuff, yeah. Hopefully you guys did, too. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Metallica, always have been. I'm not, like, a fanboy. They're not, like, my, ah, you know, but I still... I. Amazing musicians. Oh, and yeah. I have a and lot more respect for it now. Their achievements, amazing achievements. Like for for a metal band to come out, they paved the way for all the stuff you listen to nowadays. I mean, I'm not disagreeing. That's why I said I respect yeah. them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they have their own private playlist on my Apple Music, and it's called Eddie Shredder. <laughs> Just because I like to say that to, you know, Alexa when I'm at home. Because we have echoes throughout the whole house. Mm. So I'll be like, Alexa, play Eddie Shredder. And it, it's just a Metallica playlist. <laughs> So also, we obviously love music and want to uh, want future generations of mu- musicians to have accessibility and music education. So we've decided to give to a great cause, the Save the Music Foundation. Very cool. Their mission is to help students, schools, and communities reach their full potential through the power of making music. And the Circle of Fifths. <laughs> right. Where you could probably learn that. As one of the leading music foundations in the United States, they support their partner communities in three ways. By donating musical instruments and musical technology, providing support services for teachers, and advocating for music uh, music education. We're going to donate 20% of our merchandise sales and our Patreon donations from both shows, from the Midnight Train and from Icons and Outlaws, each month, okay? So you guys are going to get bonuses, and, or when you buy merchandise, just know you're going to help out. You know what I mean? You're going to help future generations get to have music and learn music and have that in their lives. So, you know, because it's such an important part of who we are, especially us, you know. And I know like 90% of you listeners out there, if you don't have any musical talent or you say you don't, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, 
man, I wish I could play guitar. Man, I wish I could sing. I wish I could play drums. That's me saying that every day. Right. <laughs> you know what? By doing this, you're going to help little kids that have that same dream, and you're starting them early so they have a better chance of actually achieving those. Right. Absolutely. So listen, go support the show, get a ton of bonuses, and help a great cause. Uh, for more information or to donate personally or you know, personally on your own, go to savethemusic.org. You're also going to get some sweet-looking shirts, too. Yes, I mean, absolutely. Super sweet. So we produce another amazing podcast called The Midnight Train. And if you're you into, do? We do. <laughs> <laughs> if you're into unsolved true crime, the paranormal, and anything mysterious, and you can laugh at the craziness in all of it, we think you'll actually love it. You can find links to that and all of the other great content we're putting out over at AccidentalDads.com, our centralized network hub. Lastly, please consider supporting both shows by signing up to be a Patreon producer over at patreon.com forward slash accidental dads or you can go to accidentaldads.com or you can go to iconsandoutlaws.com. I have a question. I have an answer. Will the Midnight Train be doing anything on the new satellite images from the James Webb telescope? Very possible because there's some funny things that I've yeah, read lately. I have too. Yeah. Funny? There's some, yeah, there's some just uh, What's kinda, funny about space? Kind of curious things. <laughs> what am I, a clown? Did you, well, <laughs> what did am you I, hear space? The, <laughs> did you hear the latest? That uh, an asteroid hit it and did a lot of damage. It's okay. They think they're going to be able to repair it from here. Yeah, wasn't it like a tiny little pebble? Yeah, but it messed well, it up. Well, yeah, I mean, it's going 22,000 some odd kilometers an hour. Well, you've seen the movie Gravity with Sandra Bullock, yes. the one little rock that... Yes. Yeah. that was so anyways, that happened recently, so I'm like, hmm... Did it really happen, or are there a bunch of files on that SD card that they don't want anybody to see? Who knows? I, mean, we might, I we, think you guys should cover that. We might jump into that. Hmm. So anyway, if you guys want to get on there for Patreon, listen, it, you get bonuses for both shows, which we're dropping a bonus for for icons, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, we just did a bonus uh, over at the, the Midnight Train, which is a little more off the cuff, a little more, um, what's the word I want to use? Adult content yeah, a little bit right <laughs> so if you want to get involved in that that'd be awesome do you so, think metallica fans should probably sign up for the patreon to get this bonus because we're going to cover top metallica songs oh yeah i think that if you are a metallica uh, fan you wait. should probably sign up for patreon i thought we were doing top carrie underwood songs oh Jesus takes the wheel. <laughs> so listen, it's five bucks a month. You'll get bonus episodes, exclusive content, and discount codes on merchandise for both shows. Now listen, I'm not going to put, and I normally put a quote here at the end of this episode, but I wanted to kind of leave this open. It's not done yet. Because A, it's not done yet, and B, we just lost Cliff Burton. Yeah. So a moment of silence.
Hey there, listener. We hope you enjoyed our song. And remember, you can listen to it anytime you want to on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to your favorite music. Just look up Icons and Outlaws. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.